Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced on Jaja Run Country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This week, the First Nations Workers' Alliance launched their new Voice Treaty Truth course. We'll hear from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander unionists who were a part of the working group that developed the training. Then we'll hear Jess, an early childhood educator and United Workers' Union member, and UWU National Secretary Tim Kennedy answering questions for the Senate inquiry into the Australian government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. But first, some union news. The NTEU Fight Pack campaign continues as union members vote on whether or not to accept concessions. The campaign has reported that John Dewar and the NTEU leadership promised job protection in exchange for the major pay cuts coming on July 1st at La Trobe. However, just a few days after the ballot results came through, La Trobe University confirmed that although 239 staff have opted to take voluntary redundancies and staff have voted to support a 10% pay cut, the university will still look at between 215 and 415 forced redundancies later this year. La Trobe University rank and file say their only chance of resistance is to build strength from the bottom up. If you're at La Trobe, check out LTU NTEU rank and file on Facebook or sign up at www ntu fight back forward slash get involved according to the media entertainment and arts alliance last wednesday's announcement of the loss of 250 jobs at the abc was the inevitable result of funding cuts imposed by the coalition government by 2022 which will be the end of the third triennial funding period during which the coalition government has been in power the total funding cut from the ABC will be more than $783 million. MEAA Chief Executive Paul Murphy said on Wednesday that the coalition government's war against the ABC since it was elected in 2013 amounts to nothing less than vandalism of one of Australia's most trusted and valued public institutions. Over the past six months, the ABC has again demonstrated its value as an essential service providing comprehensive and vital news and information from across the breadth of Australia and around the world about bushfires and the coronavirus pandemic. MEAA Media Federal President Marcus Strom said union members were dismayed that ABC management is again pursuing an unfair strategy of identifying staff for forced redundancies. These cuts have a real human cost, with 250 people facing unemployment in the middle of a recession and a constrained job market for media professionals, he said. ACTU President Michelle O'Neill has released a statement saying that last week's announcement that 6,000 Qantas workers will lose their jobs and a further 15,000 workers will continue to be stood down is deplorable and premature from Alan Joyce and further evidence of Scott Morrison's callous disregard for working people. Qantas brands itself as being the spirit of Australia, but the truth is it has abandoned Australia and its workers at their time of greatest need. Our thoughts are with all Qantas workers and their families today at this incredibly difficult time. 
Alan Joyce has abandoned Qantas workers and chosen to cut them off in order to preserve profits. Instead of cutting workers' jobs and continuing stand-downs, Alan Joyce should redouble efforts to secure urgent government intervention in the aviation industry and the extension of JobKeeper and look to draw on reserves, including existing subsidies. The Morrison government has allowed these job losses to happen. Scott Morrison's ongoing refusal to extend JobKeeper to aviation workers has crippled the industry and left thousands of workers without any support. Scott Morrison must act immediately to extend JobKeeper, deliver a direct and urgent industry assistance package, and convene crisis talks immediately. Further inaction will only be disastrous for the aviation industry and the thousands of Australians who rely on Qantas for employment. This week, the Unemployed Workers' Union welcomed the ACTU joining their campaign to keep the rate. Late on Friday, the ACTU launched a petition that includes a demand for the government to keep the rate of job seeker at the rate it is now with the coronavirus supplement. With waged, unwaged, underemployed and insecure workers now united, we have taken a vital step forward for the Keep the Rate campaign. Together, our voices will be even stronger. The AUWU thanked members and supporters, including those within the broader union movement, who helped put pressure on the peak body, politicians and community organisations to permanently increase the rate of job seeker and related payments by $550 per fortnight. These efforts are what caused this shift It's an important victory. The AUWU will redouble efforts to keep people in waged work and keep the rate to ensure that no one is living in poverty. The government is still yet to extend the $550 per fortnight coronavirus supplement to disabled people and carers, discriminating against the most vulnerable in our society and keeping them in poverty. Eligibility for all payments must be extended to people living in Australia regardless of the work they do or their visa status. Social security should mean we're all above the poverty line. You'll find a link to the Keep the Rate petition on the Stick Together Facebook page. Please sign and share. In regional news, I spoke with Steve Dodds from the Gippsland Trades and Labor Council to get an update on EBA negotiations at Australian Paper in Maryvale. Steve confirmed that industrial action has been suspended after an in-principle agreement was reached on Friday. AMWU, ETU and UWU workers at Australian Paper in Gippsland, Victoria have been negotiating a new enterprise bargaining agreement since April 2019, with 102 maintenance workers being locked out on Monday last week after they walked off the job and formed a picket line. The company notified maintenance workers that they would be locked out from 7.30am until Friday, July 10th, with contractors bussed in from Melbourne to complete maintenance work. ETU and UWU members, who are also party to the protracted negotiations, acted in solidarity with AMWU workers refusing to cross the picket line. The AMWU has accused Australian Paper of using the industrial dispute as a cover for cost-cutting Steve Dodd said the company recently approached the union about shutting the mill down from June 28th and wanted the workers to take two weeks annual leave. This after management sought to remove key job conditions and securities and refused to negotiate with workers. The union and the company have been in dispute about the use of contract labour and income protection. Australian Paper's owner, Nippon Paper Industries, has annual revenues of $10 billion. It is one of the world's 10 largest paper manufacturers, operating paper and packaging plants across multiple continents. 
but the union movement is also a global one, an industrial global union representing over 50 million workers in 140 countries sent a letter of solidarity with AMWU members who had been locked out. Workers at the Australian paper plant are represented by four different unions, with production workers being represented by the CFMEU, electricians by the ETU, and maintenance workers by the AMWU and UWU. The CFMEU negotiated an agreement for their workers in 2017 which involved a two-tier wage system whereby new workers would receive 11.5% less pay than those already employed. This set a precedent with the company who pushed the two-tiered system in negotiations with ETU, AMWU and UWU workers. In response, Steve Dodds said that the AMWU would never undermine workers by agreeing to such a system and members have shown their resolve, holding the picket line during cold winter conditions and a global pandemic. Steve gave a huge shout out to workers and communities throughout the Gippsland region who supported the industrial action. The details of the in-principle agreement are still being worked through. Steve Dodds was also excited to tell me about the work that Gippsland Trades and Labour Council is doing in training 85% of workers from the decommissioned Hazelwood Power Station. I'll have more on that in the coming weeks. Also in regional news, the union representing the public sector, including Australian tax office workers, the CPSU, is calling on the government to save the Geelong tax office. Staff at the Geelong ATO office were informed on May 27th of a four-week consultation process leading to an office closure that could result in the loss of 121 jobs. Staff were told that as a result of building occupancy and costs, the office was no longer viable. The ATO have made little effort to find other locations or solutions. People in regional areas should not have to leave their hometown to keep their jobs because the department cannot manage a lease. Staff will have the option to transfer to another ATO office, the closest being Metropolitan Melbourne, or seek employment in other Geelong public service agencies, if and where positions are available. Beth Vincent Peach, CPSU Deputy National Secretary, said, The government needs to be investing in public sector regional jobs, not cutting them. The economic impact that this will have on Geelong cannot be understated. This closure will see almost $9 million ripped from the local economy. The CPSU calls on the government to ensure that the agency can keep delivering JobKeeper for Australia by focusing on keeping their own jobs. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Now let's hear from the First Nations Workers' Alliance Voice Treaty Truth Advocacy Course Launch. We'll hear from Maxine Brahim, Thomas Mayer, Wayne Kernoth, and host Lara Watson. Well, thank you everybody for coming uh, to this launch to um, hear about the course. Um, we're very excited to launch it. It's been quite a bit of work. Um, and it was developed because we knew there was a, a hunger out there um, to understand more um, so that people could be empowered to join this movement for permanent change, really. Um, and it came from the Uluru Statement, which was I was a participant of um, the convention in the heart of the country. It's been three years since then. The government is, uh, is basically saying no. They have dismissed it, and we're not taking no for an answer. So I, um, uh, the course is two three-hour sessions, 
um, with a 20 minute break in each. Uh, those uh, two, three hour sessions are, are on different days, although that's flexible depending on the organization and the participants and what they need um, that can be uh, negotiated to make sure that people are able to attend both. Um, it takes the participants through the, um, the history of the struggle firstly and importantly. Um, and it's not just, uh, it's a history of the struggle based on the, the political actions that have led to this point in time and that continue today. Um, it takes the participants through the, um, the various statements and petitions and moments of hope uh, in our past and all of the broken promises, all of the times that um, First Nations voices have, um, have risen and been, uh, had the foot um, of the government to our throat again. So this is, uh, this is a really part, important part of the course. Um, and then we deep dive into those elements, um, voice, treaty, truth that the Uluru Statement proposes and how those, um, the history, um, a real deep dive into the history of voice, um, all of the times that it has been called for um, from uh, pre-federation uh, pre, pre through to the day of mourning, through to the Barunga Statement, the Alarakia Petition to the Queen, all these moments. And we really look at the times that we have called for the voice, um, what has happened to those voices, um, all the way to ATSIC and the Congress of First Peoples more recently. Um, and also the, the um, purpose of this uh, long-standing call for a voice um, in the center of decision-making. And that's the same with treaty. We deep dive into treaty and the different moments that we've called for it um, and what has happened with the treaties and where they're up to today and how it relates to both voice and truth. And truth-telling is pretty obvious, um, we, but we do go into that as well and how it's so why it's so important and uh, why it's part of uh, the Uluru Statement. The other thing that we do is that we don't take it for granted that participants understand how to advocate for something as important as this and something as, as political as this. And so we take the time to uh, teach participants about advocacy um, and how to share your story or to use your story or your perspective um, to advocate for Voice Treaty Truth. Further, um, it takes people through an organising conversation um, something that many of the comrades know about uh, that have done union training. Um, it takes us through how to have this organising conversation with people about this specific issue um, and try to propose a way forward. Um, this is, that's one of the most powerful things of this as well, along with how to handle objections. So in that advocacy, in, that, um, in, in the way that you take people through an organising conversation, um, we do also go into detail about the various objections that there are to this from uh, the third chamber to parliament lie all the way through to the fear of um, constitutional enshrinement diminishing sovereignty. And so why those things, are, um, even though some of them may be um, genuine concerns, but why they are not things that should hold us back on this reform and why they are, are not um, uh, problems for this. Um, we also do mapping and, uh, and how we influence our area, influence the decision makers, uh, how we um, work out the best way to use uh, the capacity that you have um, to influence, whether it be um, thinking about the local council or thinking about your local member, 
uh, thinking about your sphere of influence, uh, reaching others and teaching others about this, we take the time to do some mapping with you and, and teach you some skills in mapping. Uh, and then we have a resource package that all of the, um, all of the participants will receive. Um, there are some great videos that are part of this. Um, there's one of um, one of the most powerful advocates in this, Teela Reed, and um, you know the way that she has advocated. Um, there's a film by Rachel Perkins, um, and so that's that's really the overview. This is um, a lot for people that have no experience, but also for um, officials and uh, you know and union leaders uh, to be able to um, get out there and, and be more effective in the fight. Um, so thank you. Absolutely. I think one of the most exciting things about this course is it's not just for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. This course has been designed, you know, for not only Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander union members, but also union officials and workplace leaders. Um, so that will then start off my next question in why do you think it's important that not only Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander union members are participating in this course, but also union officials and workplace leaders? Um, look, I, I think it's um, important that everybody's on board and not just the, the Aboriginal uh, unionist. You have to have that a high level participation as well. For them to understand now once that happens changes within a movement is going to happen like i said before we need it to happen at a next level so getting those people on board is really really important they need to come on board it has to be a want they want to do it not forced to do it because if they're forced to do it and i think you'll find in the movement they're all there because we're all there we're about justice we're about social justice and, you know, that's what we're all our unions stand for. So let's move. Forward. Look, I just think it, it's the truth is there. Some really good stuff is there to share, empower them as well as empower us. The only thing I will add to what um, brother and sister said there is that, you know, I challenge all of the union officials that are on um, today to make sure that you um, attend this course and, um, and expand your knowledge on uh, First Nations struggle. Um, yeah, look, we're in this fight, we're in this fight for the long haul. Um, we're all comrades, we all need to move together as one. Um, our struggle is your struggle. You know, we need to just keep, keep grinding away at this. We need to keep educating all our mob. Uh, you know, that's all our comrades. And um, for all our comrades to spread that message as well. You're listening to Stick Together on your local community radio station. You just heard members of the First Nations Workers' Alliance talking about the New Voice Treaty Truth Advocacy Course. The union movement has a long history of solidarity with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and this training will only strengthen it further. It's time to listen, learn and take action as we continue to fight against the systemic oppression of Indigenous people. Next, we'll hear from United Workers' Union National Secretary Tim Kennedy and early childhood educator and union member Jess, answering questions for the Senate inquiry into the Australian government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. They're answering questions from WA Greens Senator Rachel Seward. If I understand your question correctly, Senator, um, 
what's our view on and changing what the payment should be depending on what you earn coming into the crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, to be quite blunt, I think that's focusing at the wrong end of the problem. Uh, I think that we should not uh, we should not use this crisis as a way to maintain the privilege people had coming into the crisis on the way out of the crisis. Because the reality is, uh, this is something that affects all of us. And it should be understood that many of the people who should be getting JobKeeper, and some are and some aren't, uh, were underemployed through no fault of their own coming into the crisis. We should also take into account that we are paying people essentially the minimum wage. And the minimum wage is something that is not a great deal of money to get by in terms of the cost of living in most of the in Australia today. It's a minimum wage. Uh, and so it's people will need to survive. So I think focusing on that really complicates and, and underestimates what we're trying to do. There is a lot there will in a public policy prescription like this, there will always be uh, imperfections in its delivery. Even today, I received a story today out of Adelaide that uh, one of our members uh, wrote into us a story in the Adelaide paper uh, saying that he just found out he worked at a pub in North Adelaide and found out that they had put his name down for a job keeper. He had left working for that pub for some time. So there's instances where employers fraudulently are using people and getting that job keeper money. The reality is it's on the margins, but that happens. And that happens because of the design of the of job keeper is mediated by employers. We please determine who is who is a legitimate person and who isn't ultimately. The design should have gone directly to workers. That's what should have happened. And it should, and the minimum wage is the minimum wage, and that's what people should have to get by. If they were getting less one week or over two weeks, really we shouldn't be focusing on that. It's immaterial in terms of the cost of the scheme, and, but it is material in terms of those people surviving week to week. Thank you. Have you got a position or what is your view of looking at leave to address the situation where people are either have caught it or have to go into isolation because colleagues have? As, as we reopen the economy? Universal sick leave uh, becomes a fundamental human right and it's also important for not only for the security of the worker concerned, but security of, of society at large. And so uh, unless, and we do have instances, and one of the problem challenges we've had here in Melbourne in the last couple of days is people who had COVID have presented to work. They've presented to work in some instances, because they're casual, they can't afford not to turn up to it, otherwise they won't be able to survive. So our call is that we need universal sick leave for all workers, uh, and that's universal paid sick leave for all workers. In addition to that, and that should be ongoing no matter what's going on, but in addition to that, we also need a special pandemic sick leave for those who are affected by the pandemic who need to be able to isolate themselves and look after themselves to have the income to do that because it's not only in their interest, it's in our interest that they do that. And so that, that's the two elements for us. 
Sorry, can I just add to that? I'm, I'm in a profession where we get sick a lot because we are exposed to small children that have a lot of illness, bring a lot of illness into the centre. And um, usually, you know, a small cough or a cold um, and we would just keep going to work and continue to persevere. But because we're trying to protect, protect the families and the children that we're looking after, we're actually using more of our sick leave than what perhaps we would have 12 months ago. Um, and then on top of that, uh, I've been tested for coronavirus twice already. I know several of my um, colleagues at work have been tested for it, and so we're taking two to three days of work off because we're waiting for results from coronavirus as well as, you know, needing to take extra time off for a, a runny nose or a cough. And so we're chewing into our cycle a lot quicker than what we would otherwise, and that is causing a financial stress on us too. In terms of job seeker, where do you think we should go uh, come September the 26th when it, in theory, is supposed to end? What do you think about the cliff and also what rate it should be at if there is an increase past the end of September? Well, uh, firstly, we welcome the government's decision in, in late March to increase uh, the former new start of job seekers. I think it's a little worldly language these days. Uh, to $550 uh, a week. And, and it was a dramatic increase, but it, it, it's, it's a result of many, many years of not being increased at all. Our position is that uh, people being forced to live on roughly about $40 a day is inhumane in a society as wealthy as ours. Uh, and also, it, it, it basically became a a disincentive for people being able well, it disabled people trying to find work, frankly, uh, in many instances. So our position is quite clear. Uh, we need to uh, maintain the rate that is at the moment ongoing as a minimum, uh, but our view is uh, that at a time when we actually are moving from a what we would call a job keeper phase uh, in terms of keeping people going and moving to an opening up phase and what, how we invest to keep people in jobs, there needs to be another review that we may need it for it to move further upwards because we need to put a floor uh, of dignity uh, into, into the community so people can actually uh, learn and, and improve their skills so we can actually have the highly skilled uh, workforce of tomorrow. So our, our minimum position is it needs to be maintained at the current rate at least. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening. Stay safe and keep fighting. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. I'm Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time.